off-road lighting as well as a way of commercial lighting. Most of our residential lighting has a five-year warranty and a 50,000-hour life expectancy. So come see us at LED for Life on Benton Road. Commissioner for District 4, and we love Robert and Aaron in the morning. We are Teal. 1017 FM and 710 Keel. 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 I'm Jimmy Grange for the all-new Natchitoches Ford, and I'm so glad to be back in the Ford business. Are you ready for a new truck? Right now, we're taking 10 grand off new Ford F-150s. Plus, every buyer gets a 50-inch TV. Come see me at the all-new Natchitoches Ford Lincoln on the bypass in Natchitoches. Experimac is the go-to place in Shreveport and Bossier for repair of iPhones, iPads, and Mac computers. They have the best prices in town for repairs of all Apple products. But the best thing about Experimac is the huge inventory of recertified MacBooks, iMacs, iPads, and iPhones. At Experimac, you can have the Apple products you love for far less than new and get a one-year warranty just like a new one. Go buy Experimac today in Shreveport across from Superior Grill on Line Avenue or in Bossier City next to Strawn's and Airline. Experience just how easy it is to get financed on the Apple products of your dream. Experience Experimac. Now, back to the best of times with your host, Gary Coligas. Welcome back to our show, the best of times radio hour, proudly presented by A Bearstown Country Edge Report, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Coligas, and I do thank you for listening to our show today. Joining me on my radio show are some very, very special guests is Dr. John Jackson, Rebecca Jackson. Um, we also having uh, Russ Briart, Briart and Barry Swartz. And these are some leading individuals with the research, research regarding the Shroud of Turin. So welcome, ladies, and lo- welcome, young lady, yeah, okay. young lady, okay. and gentlemen, to the Best of Times Radio Hour. I know that you, you, we were honored to have you research here in the Shreveport and Bossier City area the, the Thursday and Friday and, and this morning giving some lectures to many thousands of people in the architects to learn more. And you were here last year, right, Barry? I was. Actually, it was earlier this year. Oh, oh, time flies when you're having fun. Is that right? Exactly. But it was it was inspiring, and I, I, I was fortunate to, to attend that, and I want to encourage you still have an opportunity to go today, to this is Saturday, to go today to uh, to participate in a, in, a, in a presentation. Is that correct? Who's giving the presentation today? On Saturday, Dr. Jackson. I think we, if I'm not mistaken, I think we all are. It's a, Good. Uh, um, so we'll give us, we'll give us, my wife, actually be my wife and uh, myself. So that, that'll be going on today until uh, from nine until about eleven eleven thirty. So we so today you're going to get a little they're going to get a little snapshot of some of the information that our researchers have to share, and it's it's a lot. And in, in, uh, in the hour show right here, we won't be able to to touch probably on a on a very small portion of that. So again, I, I'm very deeply honored that y'all took the time from your your busy schedules in visiting our wonderful two cities here that uh, you can share the information that will be shared upon by our podcast and by our once this show is loaded into our system that people that met, might have missed some of the presentations they'll be able to have a little bit of snippet information. And then, and Barry, do mention, I, I've been to it a uh, hundred times probably, is the fabulous website that you have. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, Shroud.com, very easy to remember. And uh, people often ask how I got the name Shroud.com, and my answer is it was available in 1995. You know, that is something. I, I'm sure it was, you know, after y'all took it up, there was probably few people asked for it, it's already taken up. Correct. Like like many think back in the back in the early early years of the L. So uh, so let's let's go into the some of the questions that. Well, that's a good point. Let's talk about how how do scientists feel think the image was formed. Scientists. 
that is, uh, of course, the big one of the big questions uh, on the shroud that uh, the shroud begs to have an answer for. The uh, for scientists to look at this, one has to first of all make scientific measurements and observations because the way science works, you make various what we call hypotheses. Those are ideas uh, on how you might think in this case uh, the image was formed. And then what you do is look at testable consequences of those hypotheses and compare those to your scientific observations that you made. Uh, And then it's it's a process of evaluating those comparisons and hypotheses that uh, do not explain the totality of all the observations that you think are credible uh, are intellectually not allowed to stand because you, you have to insist that all bona fide observations uh, are satisfied by whatever hypothesis you have. Now, if you get to a point where you have multiple hypotheses that explain the same set of observables, then what science doesn't do is it doesn't uh, argue amongst itself like uh, uh, like you do in political contests, for example. <laughs> but what you do instead is uh, design an experiment that can test between those. And so science is, the bottom line, is a process of selective uh, elimination and it's sort of the last uh, hypothesis standing is is the one you uh, uh, hope is um, the, the proper one that will explain what is on the shroud. Well, to, to add a, a little uh, a question here, is everything in science, can, can scientists and science prove everything that exists in the world? Or is there something that mysterious, mystery, out of the phenomena that we don't understand? It's beyond our comprehension. Science, by its very nature, does not uh, purport to prove anything. It rather, it, what it does is it tests nature by its uh, scientific interrogation of it and then trying to make sense of it intellectually using what's called the scientific method. I'd like to add that uh, considering the amount of study that was put into the shroud, not just by our team 40 years ago, but in successive years, um, the shroud has become pretty much the most studied artifact in human history. And in spite of all the work that we did and our team did and other researchers have done since, in the end, we still cannot come up with a mechanism that can create an image like the image on the shroud to match the chemistry and the physics uh, no one has yet been able to do that and I think in the last 40 years I'm sure John and I have looked at about every opportunity that somebody has created something and said well this is how the shroud was made and the minute you start looking closer you find it doesn't match what's on that cloth so in the end our team went there to answer primarily the one question how is the image formed and we came back being able to say, well, it's not a painting and it's not a scorch and it's not a photograph, but we still know of no mechanism. We don't know what is it. Yeah, but what caused we it? still what can't, we can't duplicate it and consider this. We live in the most image-oriented era of human history. Everybody's got a camera and a computer attached to it in their pockets now, and yet modern science can't create an image with these very same properties. Well, that, that, it, again, it's fascinating. Why, why do you feel it's the most studied item 
in, can we say, studied item in Christianity or in all religions? I, I don't necessarily even limit it to religion. I think it's the most studied item, historical item on the planet, and perhaps the most controversial at the same time, because usually when you study something, whether it comes from ancient Egypt or Babylon or somewhere else, there's plenty of data that can support its existence and how it, was, how it came about, and yet with the shroud, we, we don't really have a great clue as to how that image was made. Oh, can we? Can y'all tell our listeners out there? Is there three things that all scientists or all researchers agree upon regarding this rod? Is there three things, or one thing, or two things? Is there anything? The um, we know the, it. We know it exists. It's right. Right. We know that. We we know the shroud exists, um, and and actually, you have to tie into the shroud the question of its authenticity with respect to being the uh, purported burial cloth of Jesus. But in terms of image formation, there are a variety of hypotheses that have been proposed, and uh, uh, these can be evaluated. Um, I think that, and I'll, if I may, just I can venture my particular hypotheses, which a number of my colleagues also uh, uh, agree with. Uh, and I think these can... This hypothesis can explain all the observational characteristics that we currently know about the shroud. Um, and the hypothesis is, is a radical one, because, but that only came about by looking at all the uh, natural mechanisms that you can come up with to try to explain the shroud. But this idea is one that I've had for almost, well, over 20 years. Uh, and it's, the idea is that if you take the shroud and you wrap it up into a body, wrap a body into it, rather, then if, if that body uh, becomes radiant with light throughout its volume, and then the cloth itself is able to fall into this radiant volume and then interacts with it, then... The hypothesis is that the image on the shroud that you see is a convolution, a time integration, if you will, of, of this event, this collapse event, as it interacts with this radiant body. Now, uh, as my colleague Barry uh, says, you're not going to do that in a, in a science laboratory. But at the same time, we do have a shroud that exists, and we can theoretically look at it and the shroud uh, in my mind behaves as though the process I just described happened to make the image that can that can that hypothesis could then in a sense predict uh, the observations that we do see on the shroud now does that mean that we're finished no uh, we science always would like to look up uh, further with more scientific data, uh, you'd also um, uh, always have to hold open the possibility, no matter what hypothesis you have, including the one I just uh, uh, mentioned here, that the possibility could be that another piece of scientific data will come out that will refute it. And then, then we have to go back to the drawing boards and try to 
tweak things and see how things shake out. But that's where it, where I see it right now. So, Dr. Jackson, what does that mean? Is something will be found later or found associated with or found within the shroud? Well, science can't predict what observations it hasn't made. Okay. So, but I'm, I'm just saying that intellectually, science always has to be open to uh, new uh, uh, hypotheses, ideas, to explain some facet of, of nature, whether it's the shroud, whether it's the, the uh, cosmology and the origin of the universe, whatever. Interesting content. Okay. So that did. So uh, what I was finding fascinating in, in, in when y'all did the first le- the, uh, lecture series was and a lot of my uh, friends who said they're, they, they wanted to ask the question. I think y'all all answered. I think you do need answers today. Why did, did, the, did the Jews back in those days always bury their dead in shrouds like this? Was it common? It wasn't always that way. Oh. Excuse me. It wasn't always that way. Um, you, Jewish burial customs, uh, the early ones, they were very ornate. Ornate being what? Like um, with metal and all kinds of fancy fabrics and all that. At the time of Christ, and things began to change, and they went for all uh, very pure linen uh, cloth, very pure linen cloth. And it, it began at that time, and um, at the time of the mission of Rabbi Gamaliel and uh, Paul of Tarsus, they all, uh, and before the missioner, they um, tended to, and Rabbi Gamaliel, who was uh, Paul of Tarsus, St. Paul's um, mentor he said they should be in linen pure linen cloths and so that's what happened and it's been like that since then that's the way it should be you know and if they want to really you know according to jewish law um, not orthodox jewish law you could bury somebody looking like uh, scarlet o'hara and and that's allowed but it should be in a pure linen cloth and ex- no. explain to our listeners because I, I, pure linen means what? A free pure linen, free of shotness. Now there's a debate about it. According to Jewish law, you're not allowed to mix linen and wool in the same fabric. Do you know uh, that that's going to be touched? And you know, in most cases, people touch fabrics. You never know when you're going to touch a fabric or not touch a fabric. So it should be free of linen wool mixture that's going to be touched. It's called shotness. And also cotton, I believe. Yeah, cotton. You're allowed to mix linen and cotton in the same fabric, but not linen and wool. Okay, and explain to our listeners, which I think Cheryl, uh, uh, Dr. White, and I want to do do want to compliment her and their podcast. They have some remarkable podcasts. I mean, I know probably thousands have been listening to it. They're wonderful. Uh, my wife and I listen to them all when we travel again and again, and I, they're they're fantastic. I uh, at break we're going to come back and I'll find out. I can't remember the title the title of the uh, the podcast on Apple, but uh, the, they're they're remarkable. And she talked and they talk about the burial cloths, the shroud, but also the face, right? And that's required in. Ju- the, the face the has to be covered. And it's, it's, it's separate. Right? It's separate. Yeah. It's sometimes it's a prayer shawl, sometimes it's not. But they should be, the face should be covered. And that's, in, in the biblical setting, in the, in, the, in the Bible, mentions the cloths, right? Yeah. And that's why the 
said the plural, which a lot of people did not know did not know that until I well they probably did, but they probably wasn't wasn't uh, brought to their attention until y'all talked about the presentation. I had a few people that, that were asking that were asking me that. Yeah. I said, well, that's that's where the cloth the plural comes from, correct? Yeah. And even to this day, we still cover the faces of the dead, usually right upon death. So that's a, I think a tradition that goes back maybe even prior to Jewish customs probably yeah. back to the pagan days the uh, the podcast on Apple Podcast is called The Man of the Shroud Podcast and it's with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Uh, Dr. Peter uh, Magnum and uh, it's a remarkable set of series I don't know what they're up to now is it 26 or 27 uh 25? 35. Wow. I think I'm up to 34, but uh, I've listened to. So I, didn't I just wanted to add yes, something. Sir. At the uh, Another incentive for um, changing the style um, of the burial, the fabric of the burials, because during the Roman period, they began uh, raiding. This I gave in uh, my uh, paper in at the, um, the French Shroud Conference in Nice. At the time of, um, of the Romans, the Romans used to pillage the graves of the Jews to gather, uh, gather all the um, everything that was thrown inside, the medals and the rings and all that. So, and they, they people they say that um, it was changed because because of, of simplicity, but that was another motivating factor. They just want to stop the pillaging of the graves. So the pillaging of the, the precious stones or medals or yeah, coins was or... an incentive. Uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. That that's that is remarkable in itself. We'll be right back with more information. But now, we're with our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Giel, proudly presented by A Bears Hunting Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the Best of Times coming for you on 710 Giel. Now, back to the Best of Times with your host, Gary Kaligas. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by A-Bears, Tending Country at Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Joining on my show today some very, very special guests. We have some leading researchers regarding the Shroud of Turin that are in the Shreveport and Bossier City area, and I invited them to come to our show today to give our, our thousands of radio listeners some little bit in-depth about their research and about their presentation that they're giving here uh, that began on Thursday, Friday, and now on Saturday morning. So I have uh, Russ Briart, Dr. John Jackson, Rebecca Jackson, uh, and also Barry Swartz. But I'm also inviting Dr. Cheryl White, who is uh, one of the uh, remarkable historian historia professors in the area at LSU's report. Right? Thank you, Gary. Yes, that's and, right. and she is a, a lady of knowledge of all types of history, but she has the proud honor of, of loving this particular Topic, Absolutely. Right? Yes, a favorite topic. Of and why, why is that? Because of my interest in medieval history. I was initially drawn to this because we, you know, when I was in grad school in 1988, we were told that this thing was couldn't be no older than the 13th century. So, you know. In what? In 88? Medieval. In 1988 was when the carbon-14 dating results were published. And I was in grad school. And I remember it vividly because I'd always been attracted to the, the story of this cloth going back to the Shroud of Turin Research Project of 1978 when I was, you know, very young, Gary. I was very young. Very young. Very, but, very young. Um, but I do remember very well 
uh, my attraction to this particular story and this cloth. And then when the the C14 dating was published, uh, I began thinking of it as more of a medieval artwork and thinking, my gosh, who is this person of the Middle Ages that could have created this incredible art? Uh, and of course, we know now it's not an artwork, no, but it's not. Um, but yeah. So my my interest goes back at least that far. Awesome. So again, I, I plugged your podcast. They're yes. remarkable. I Who is the man of the shroud? And they're not long, everyone. They're like uh, eight to ten or twelve minutes, so you can listen. And then I mean, we we uh, we listen to them on the car when we're driving to various parts right. of the country, and they're remarkable. So thank you. you. They're very good, and it, they're and you can you don't have to do them in order. So that's the other aspect. Right. You want to learn about a certain topic. So I mean, they're they're very good. And and uh, so tell our listeners about if they if they have time today after the show they can go down to St. Yes. John's Birchlands Cathedral right. located at uh, nine thirty nine Jordan Street. So it's really close. Right. Great parking, free parking to come in. It's a free event. It's a free event. It is a free exhibit. We have a full size replica of the shroud that's actually printed digitally. Um, Barry Schwartz's image of the shroud, mm-hmm. and it is um, part of a, a part of a larger exhibit. We've got a great uh, infographic display there with. Some information about the shroud, its history, its scientific evidence, as well as uh, a passion exhibit, the instruments of passion. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage anyone who is listening who can jump in their car and get to the cathedral between 11 and 12 today. That public exhibition is open. And Dr. White, tell them also it ha- you have panels that describe in right. great detail. Lots of info- infographics. You don't have to worry about, about a guide taking you or no. explaining. It's, it's very no. inf- And it's very succinct. It's very succinct. We have the information in such a way that you can sort of find Follow the story of the shroud uh, on your own, and it's a self-guided exhibit. Yes, and, it, and, it's, and it's in large print. I told one person to go there. You don't have to worry about getting their reading glasses. It's large enough. You don't need reading glasses. Okay, right? you don't need reading glasses. Yes. So again, we encourage people to come there. Right, please do. Please well, do. Well, thank you. So, getting getting back to the topic here, um, what is the most compelling pieces of evidence that about the identity of the man who's depicted on the shroud? What's 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 the most compelling pieces? Well, I think the fact that you have this this image that uh, this inexplicable image of a, of, of, a, of a five foot ten man or approximately both front and back image, um, and it's uh, and from a scientific standpoint, the thing that's so intriguing about it is that clearly there's an image on the cloth, and yet there's no visible trace of any kind of paint, ink, dye, pigmentation, stain. There are no artistic substances on the cloth to account for the image and then on and then added to that you have this pattern of blood stains and so you have the blood stains from clearly a pattern around the head suggesting a crown of thorns you have scourging all over the back all over the body uh, for at least 120 scourge marks on the body uh, you have nail wounds in the wrist nail wounds in the feet a wound in the side um, and so you have all the exact same wound patterns or wounds that are uh, that are are talked about in all four gospels as to what happened to Jesus. So, in terms of you know you know you know if this is an authentic burial shroud, then in terms of the, in terms of the identity of the man, it's pretty it's pretty remote that it's anyone other than Jesus. Especially when you look at the crown of thorns. I mean, that was a singular mockery for the man who claimed to be king of the Jews. And so uh, so the you know so there's there's this either or proposition with the shroud, and that is. 
is either it's the authentic borough shot of Jesus or it's not. And if it's not, well, then what is it? Well, then it must be the work of an artist. And if that's the case, then how did he do it without the use of any artistic substances? And, you know, what is this, what is this alleged uh, medieval process that, that, um, that, that was able to imprint this image on the cloth that, uh, that affects only the top two microfibers of the cloth? Not, not threads, microfibers. And so literally this image resides on less than 1% of a single thread. I mean, it's exceedingly superficial. And I like to say that if you take a razor blade and shave the surface of the cloth, that image would be gone. And so, you know, so for those people who are who want to Google the shroud and, 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 and look at an image of it, the first thing you'll see is just a whole pattern of burns and patches from a, from a fire in 1532. That's what I want you to mention. And Some so, people said, how did that come there? It was right. afterwards, right? It was, it was in a fire in 1532. It was kept in a silver box. The top of the box melted. A glob of molten silver fell down onto it, burning all the way through it, creating a burn pattern. And so, so you have this image kind of lies between these two parallel lines, which are nothing more than burns and patches and scorch marks. And then it was doused with water. You have a pattern of water stains. You have a pattern of blood stains. What's interesting, if you flip the cloth over, you'll see the burns. Mm-hmm. You'll, see the, you'll see the water stains. You'll see the blood stains. But you will not see the image of the man because the image of the man is a purely superficial phenomenon that, that, that affects only the top one to two microfibers of the inside of the cloth facing where the where the where the body was. So, Russ, that's the microfiber. That's very thin level, right? Yeah, extremely. I mean, it's, you know, it's uh, I don't know how you'd measure like you know one to two microns in depth. I mean, it's it's exceedingly superficial, and it's 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 it's, it's basically uniform in intensity, top to bottom, front to back. And so you'd think you'd need a piece of technology in order to in order to accomplish that, because every painting, every artistic endeavor has variations in density and variations in, say, tone, but we don't see that on the shroud. It's, um, you know, so I have one of my, my, my partners here j- jump in from the, from, the, from the stirp crowd. I'm not a member of the stirp, well, but w- one of the things I'd like to mention that's in- encoded into the image is spatial or topographic information that is encoded into the lights and darks or density of the image. Uh, and this is something actually John has uh, done a very, at least one if not several scientific papers on that topic and this is something that in modern technology we, we're not sure exactly how you would go about doing that there seems to be a correlation between the distance between the cloth and the body and the density of the lights and darks of the image where there was direct contact the image seems to be the darkest and where the distance increases the image grows more faint until it reaches extinction at about four centimeters or so so is that common is that is that a typical well, I want to just extend what Barry was saying here is that that three dimension, so-called three-dimensionality of the intensity correlation uh, of the image to, well, we're talking body image, to uh, cloth body distance uh, is a very important uh, observation that can discriminate amongst many hypotheses because this has to be done not only with the, the correlation, but it has to be done with uh, essentially high resolution of the image. And if you look at other mechanisms such as diffusion, molecular diffusion, for example, simple radiation, uh, uh, 
I spoke of radiation before, but I'm talking simple, uh, what we call Lambertian radiation. That will blur the image, too. So the uh, way I see this is that when you talk about image formation, that's different than stain formation. Image formation uh, relates to information transfer from the body shape into the cloth. And that gets encoded into the shroud, and it's very clear that has has happened. Stain formation relates to the chemistry of uh, what's making the color that you look at. They're they're related, but they're but they're different. And one is more sharper than the other, right? Sharper image, well, sharper depictions. Stain formation doesn't really look at. Uh, what we would call an image. An image is something that we can intelligently recognize as something. And we do that because our our brain can can process uh, uh, information, uh, whereas stain is something that relates just to the chemistry of what's there to create that informational uh, representation and what we understand as an image, in this case, of a body shape. Why don't you all discuss, I thought it was fascinating, I think the last presentation, I'm sure you've discussed it now, and is the the way it was kept for many years with thumbtacks, right? Am I correct about that? No, that was the way, Tacking? that's the way they displayed it in 1978 when it was on public display. Our team, because but, everything... But it was on thumbtacks for many years, wasn't it? No, no, not for many years, but okay. uh, about, what was it, five or six weeks. Mm-hmm. Our team, because we wanted to do totally non-destructive so that we caused it absolutely no harm. We built this giant steel table and fastened the cloth to it with magnets, and the magnets were coated with Teflon so no metal particles would come off on the cloth. And when they took it off public display to bring it to us, they had to unthumbtack it from around the, the periphery. They had actually just thumbtacked it to a piece of wood. So they were concerned about our caring for the shroud, and yet they did that. But the thumbtack thing only lasted five or six weeks. Uh, but it's still possibly what a damaged or curtailed something in it, right? Left little holes with rust around them. <laughs> that I, that I, I saw. When I, when I heard y'all say, bitch, that, I said, whoa, that is really, they don't take this as really too precious back then. You know, I'm sure, I think Dr. White talked about it, that it probably traveled many, many locations by the time it ended up in Turin, right? Yep. The Savoy family used to travel with it and display it. Sometimes they would hang it from balconies or have bishops holding it by the corners so it was exposed to sunlight and air and consequently the potential risk of dust and dirt and debris and pollens falling upon it. So uh, it's been better cared for in more recent centuries. So uh, going going back, I, I think I was fascinated by the blood and how, it, how it's related to the image. Expand about that a little bit. I guess great minds think alike because I was actually thinking of that myself just as you were talking. So anyway, uh, the primary reason why we think this is the burial cloth of Jesus or we have to always be open to the possibility that it's a representation of someone's idea of what a burial cloth of Jesus looked like is the fact that you see bloodstains that give... um, Indications of wounds that are one-to-one uh, described in the gospel accounts of Jesus, of his of his passion, death, and uh, one-to-one uh, being one-to-one meaning like uh, the, the 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 gospels talk about a crown of thorns on the shroud. You see around the head, you see 
blood stains as though they're coming from puncture type sources. Uh, another one is uh, the, the Gospels report a, uh, a incision by a Roman centurion of a, of a spear sword uh, into the side of the dead Jesus uh, and out coming uh, way it was described in the Gospels, blood and water. And on the shroud, we in fact see uh, a blood stain in the side. Uh, and then you see wounds that correspond to uh, what are sensibly uh, crucifixion-like wounds in, in what we would call the wrist and the, in the uh, four insteps of the feet and also of the dorsal foot image, which is also in, uh, image on the dorsal image. And there's also... We should mention two images on the shroud, a frontal and a dorsal image, presumably the same individual, uh, front, his front and his back. And then we also see the scourging mark. So all that comes together to then say, well, gee, this looks like it's, it's, really, it's dealing with the uh, burial of Jesus. And if the shroud's authentic, then it would have to be the shroud. If, if authentic, it would have to be a no-kidding image uh, in, in, a, in his body image and in the blood of Jesus himself. And one, one other follow-up question. D- didn't y'all determine the blood type? Did I, am I correct my wrong? Did I remember reading that? There's a number of uh, authors, uh, people, not, not us, but yeah. who claim to have uh, given a, a, a typing of the blood. Um, that's I guess an interesting thing, but uh, our team stirrup did not officially do that. The um, and, and I I talked to uh, our blood uh, porphyrin chemist, Dr. Ellen Adler, uh, before he passed away a number of years ago, and uh, he spoke considerably about the blood analysis on the shroud and in and in his paper that he published. And he did not mention in there, and his co-author too, of typing the blood. And I just know L well enough that if he could have, he would have. Hmm. But they didn't do it. They didn't do it. And I think probably because there was some reason why they couldn't. Okay. We'll be right back with more information. But now I work from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel. Proudly presented by Bear, Sunny Country Rich Report, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the best of times coming for you on 710 Kiel. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to purchase the gas station egg salad. Eat the gas station egg salad. And regret the gas station egg salad as you presented numbers to the board. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 egg salad minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Uh-oh. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. In everything we do, we are relentless. For the communities we serve, our commitment never ends. For the sake of our neighbors, we champion wellness. We train the next generation of innovators. We are Oxner, and this is our mission. Because the Gulf South's most pressing health issues will inspire our greatest breakthroughs. Oxner, innovating healthcare for our communities. Visit oxner.org slash relentless. Welcome back to our show, The Best of Times, your radio hour, proudly presented by Bear's Hunting Country at Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram. 
and Jeep dealer. I have some experts, leading researchers that are in the Shreveport and Bossier City area discussing the Shroud of Turin. So, yeah, guys and ladies, I've had some interesting questions from my radio listeners, and one of them was, this is a remarkable uh, artifact, Christian fact. I mean, it's a remarkable item that we need to know as much information as possible. Why is not another study done? It was done in 1978. I think there might have been some follow-up later on. But why is not a, a study being, is it not allowed by the Vatican? Is it not allowed by the, the city of Turin or whoever owns, who own, who has the, the shroud? Well, since 1985, the legal owner of the shroud is the living pope. Okay. In this case, case Pope Francis. Um, Many of us, including the folks in Turin, uh, which I'm, on, I'm now on their advisory committee, uh, as is John, for that matter, and they've told me that they would love to see another set of tests. Uh, the president of the Turin Centro, Bruno Barberis, has uh, published and uh, given papers at conferences as far back as 2012, uh, suggesting future testing and the need for future testing. But the legal owner is not the church, but the living pope. And so it's up to Pope Francis to authorize it, uh, obviously with his advisors. And apparently these days he's got other things on his plate that are more critical for him to deal with. And the shroud is better preserved today than it's ever been in its history. So there's no pressing need for them to, you know, push for another set so, of tests. So where, it, can it be seen by the general public? Not, not at this point in time, no. So it's, where is it stored? It's still in the cathedral in Turin in a special cabinet sealed from the air nitrogen argon atmosphere temperature humidity controlled kept flat light tight and fireproof case so it's best preserved than it's ever has has been in its past it's just that it's literally up to the living pope to make that decision and uh, and it's not it's not viewable by cameras or anything by that's correct it's it's sealed right now the the next tentative scheduled date for public exhibition 2025 oh wow that's gonna be a big pilgrimage to that area yeah there usually is several million each each time it's shown. So the the other question, what a couple of my radio listeners wanted me to address during this short period of time is, is they were a little bit concerned regarding this radio. Is it radio carbon dating that was done? What year? Eighty-eight. Nineteen eighty-eight. And why was there why was there major differences in this type of analysis? The radio, I I can. I would rather call the radiocarbon dating, uh, as in terms of what it, what it really is, is a physics measurement, radiocarbon measurement. And then measurement. the dating part is the interpretation of the measurement of two types of carbon, 14 and carbon 12, uh, relative to each other. Now, uh, in, in, in 1988, the C14 to C12 was, was measured, and... If you can make the assumption that nothing has intervened to alter the radiocarbon content in the sample and that the sample is really what you think it is, uh, then the uh, principles of physics apply and you get a calendar date, age of it. Now, the shroud has been through many things, uh, but the real question is, uh, and, uh, oh, I, I guess... The, the result of that was the 14th century uh, of the ra- of the radiocarbon interpretation of the radiocarbon measurement. Now, the question is, uh, is that a valid result? Well, you don't 
just sit back and argue back and forth about that. You do tests and you look at other scientific measurements. In the stirrup, uh, uh, I saw a, a, a pattern, an unmistakable pattern of fold lines on the shroud. Uh, these were documented in the last I don't know, 30 minutes or so of, the, of, our, of our scientific testing. Uh, after studying this, uh, it's, what's very interesting is that those fold lines com- uh, compare ex- in a compelling way, in my mind, to a display mode that is shown in icons and in an archaeological reference from Constantinople uh, in the uh, very uh, early 13th century, which is before the radiocarbon date says the shroud even existed. Uh, that and, and other things, uh, I think, show the, the shroud as a cloth existed before the radiocarbon date says it does. So, so I don't think that the radiocarbon date is giving us a correct uh, radiocarbon result. Now, the next other question is why, and and that's another question because that's a physics question. What process or what reason? Might there be? And there's been a number of those, which you don't have time here, I don't think, to to uh, talk about. Although I'd be happy to if we had time. But uh, it's uh, it's a it's a problem that uh, we would like to uh, answer. The problem in this radiocarbon case is that our stirrup team did ask for a, a second uh, look at the shroud back in 1984, but processes beyond our control. Uh, took the radiocarbon date out of our our management of stirrup and gave it to the radiocarbon daters themselves, meaning that they then assumed not only the responsibility for doing the measurement, but also the the, the, the review of uh, the peer review of their own measurement, which I don't think is a very healthy thing to be. And it's, it hasn't been good for the church. It hasn't been good for, for, for the radiocarbon dating community, I don't think, because you want a good... Uh, scientific uh, measurement that you can trust and it also hasn't been good for, for the people of planet earth in my mind also i'm just going to throw in one more thing that there is significant historical evidence that the shroud existed well before the earliest possible date given by the radiocarbon dating again n- not a lot of time to go into it here uh, you can find a lot about this on shroud.com if you type radiocarbon into the search engine on the front page which searches only within the website my suggestion is before you do that pack a lunch because you're going to be there for a while and also but, ShroudOfTurin.com, that's ours. That's right. And don't, and don't forget ShroudEncounter.com. Oh, wow. I didn't know we had all these extra extra uh, <laughs> websites as well. Again, you, thank you for being on the show today. You were quite informative. Uh, thank you again for coming to the Shreveport and Bossier City area. We're deeply honored that you uh, took time for your busy schedules to come here. I know you inspired me and many thousands of people in the Arklatex to come here. I mean, uh, hopefully more and more people will be listening to, to this show and going to your websites, your various websites, and to learning more about it. It's a fascinating thing. I mean, I've, I, I, I've, I've always, I've known about it for many, many years. I've always had questions about it, uh, being a Greek Orthodox Christian here. So I know about it. I know about it, relationship in Constantinople and the other, the other aspects. So I knew some of it, but I've never know the rest of the story. Now, I'll, you'll help to, to pull that out, and all of your, your research has been great as well. So again, thank you for joining us today. And again, uh, the, our 
suggest my listeners to definitely visit their websites. Uh, the one of them is, of course, www.shroud.com, as well as the other uh, the websites. Thank you again for coming today. It's the Best of Times Radio Hour. We'll be right back with more information, but now a word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by A Bears, Shannon Country, at Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the best of times coming for you on 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, the best of times radio hour here on News Radio 710 Keel. Thank you for listening to our show today. May God bless you and your family. God bless America. Have a great day and a great weekend. Thank you again for listening to our show. I'm Gary Kaligas wishing you and yours the best of times both today and every day. Have a great day. You've been listening to the best of times on 710 Keel. Join us again next Saturday at 9 for the best of times. This is News Radio 710 Keel, K E E L, Shreveport Bossier.